Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Give me an example, and just in broad terms, mm -hmm. of what a success story to you looks like. It would be our executive director, Rebecca Charleston. Uh, she showed up in our program in 2012, walked through our doors. Um, she'd been trafficked for 10 years across the U.S., um, even served time in federal prison for her trafficker. For her trafficker? Yes. To she took the bulk of the weight of the crimes that were committed, and she was the one that served time. So she finally got free, shows up here in Texas, came through our doors to our support group, and she just never turned back. And I tell you what, she's now, she's a powerhouse, and she is now running this organization. That's a success. How do women get free? I would think that that's probably the first, yeah. first step. Right. You know, maybe identifying them mm -hmm. from your perspective or they identify mm -hmm. that they're in a bad situation right. i'm sure that's probably not too hard to do but you surprised. uh you got to get away mm -hmm. and that was one yeah. thing that you made a point of saying mm -hmm. she escaped and then she yes. found you guys yes. how do most of these women actually escape um well again many of them do not even know that they're victims because they have been so brainwashed by their trafficker or pimp that they believe that they're choosing these things and that this is their fault and that this is all that they can ever do, right? So they think that they chose it. So that's part of the difficulty of identifying even how many victims there are because they don't self-identify, right? It's very challenging. So it typically ends up that law enforcement has had to be involved at some point. So like a, a pimp gets arrested, something like that? Usually they don't. It's usually the girl um, that gets arrested. And then um, what's really cool is that Rebecca now trains law enforcement. She trains judges. She's letting them understand how to identify a potential victim rather than just going ahead and assuming that she's doing this as a prostitute and that's what she's choosing. So she helps to even affect the law enforcement and the judges to understand she could be a traffic victim if you see these signs. Does she have identification or has it been taken from her? Is she being moved around? Does she have an address? I mean, there's so many things that you can look for to determine if someone is maybe potentially being trafficked. So that's part of it is just getting different people involved. And even any just a, a citizen can have suspicions and they can contact the trafficking hotline. And there are ways that we can begin to just educate our own communities to understand who could potentially be a victim. And they may not be able to give an outcry. But maybe we can we can speak on their behalf when they can't yet. And it takes all of us being willing to just educate ourselves a little bit and understand what could be happening literally next door to you. Let's talk a little bit more about that because we talk a lot. We're talking a lot about Dallas. Yes. And if you were to ask me, where does this stuff take place? I would say in the big cities in Dallas. Mm -hmm. How how common is this stuff in the suburb cities, let's say? Very, because that's where a lot of the actual the massage businesses um, are very much in the suburbs now. How do you know which one's a good one mm -hmm. versus which one's a bad one? Uh, a very easy telltale sign is that you drive by the businesses after 
eight nine o'clock p.m. they're still open. Okay, that's a pretty good sign um, <laughs> that they're doing something different. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I've I've done ride-alongs. Uh, we actually created a documentary with a former FBI agent um, who showed us like how the different ways that trafficking is happening all across DFW. The different, um, you know, whether that be massage parlors or the strip clubs or the the prostitution tracks and, and different things. So it was uh, very eye-opening for me when he drove me two blocks from my house. And that was our first uh, stopping point. I was like, really? Oh, my gosh. Yes. I can walk to it. The place that, and I was like, this is our starting point. This is my neighborhood. So it's it's everywhere, but that's a, a huge telltale sign. And as a citizen, a concerned citizen, call the local law enforcement and tell them, hey, have you noticed that this establishment is open after hours? You think there's something going on there? Send a tip. And maybe there will be enough of those coming through that there's there's action that can happen. You know? Mm-hmm. And so, again, I want people to feel empowered that I, I hate – that feeling of, oh, my gosh, there's so much bad news, and this is so overwhelming. I want people to know that when concerned citizens stand up and you just do what you can do, we're advancing and we're making an impact together. And I, that's really what I love seeing is just normal people like me. I was just a stay-at-home mom when women showed up at my door, you know, just living my own life. And, and now I love, I mean, my gosh, I love what I get to do every day, you know, but all of us can be a part of this. Are there other places that this stuff happens? So you said that it happens not at all, but at some strip clubs, mm-hmm. massage parlors, and then you were saying just on the street. Mm-hmm. Are there other places or, I guess, places where this stuff happens where you wouldn't really think about it? I'm trying to, I'm well, trying to wrap I mean, my mind around the Obviously, the motel idea. rooms, you know, there's a lot of okay. uh, motels also um, where that's happening. So I'm just trying to get... Uh, mm-hmm more into the idea of it's it's happening in plain sight. You know, this stuff yes, is happening, yes. but you don't necessarily yes. notice. Maybe you get a gut instinct, but a lot of times if you're just driving around, why would you pay attention right. to what's yeah. going on in these weird little it's uh, places? It's amazing once you listen to one interview like this, how all of a sudden you're beginning, it's like your eyes are open and you start being more aware of what's happening around you. And it's sometimes it's just having that moment where you go, oh, I never thought about it that way. Are, are you, do you see it everywhere now? Are you the kind of person that can you kind of almost like pick people yes. off like on the street and go, that's probably, yeah. that's a problem. There's, there's a red flag. Mm-hmm. Is it something that has kind of dominated your life? Do you have um, to put on the cape or can you just kind of, <laughs> are you, you know what I'm saying? I think I was made for this. I, in a weird way, um, because I look at the worst of humanity, um, of what people are capable of doing to one another. Yet I wake up every day feeling like, you know what, but if we can help one more person and bring hope to another life, then I'm going to get up and do it again tomorrow and the next day. How do you stay so positive? You're one of the most upbeat people I've ever (laughs) talked to on this show. You're in an unbelievably good mood. You have a genuine smile on your face. You are excited about what you do. I mean, I want to become Amish right now. (laughs) This is, I love the internet, but I'm about to throw my computers in the garbage. (laughs) Like, I'm freaking out. Um, Right. You're doing great. And you're not, you know, when you started talking about your kids, I was expecting you to start, like, we have these weird things that we do. You're just, what's your advice to help keep your kids safe? Be in their lives. Love them. Be a part of them. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's, it's not, not paranoid. It's not weird. How do you stay yeah. so incredibly normal? <laughs> well, I think um, I I mean, I have faith. Obviously, I'm a you know, our organization is faith based. I'm a believer. Um, I think that that gives me something to anchor myself to every single day. If I didn't have that, I would probably feel a little bit more hopeless and overwhelmed by what I see, the darkness that's around me all the time. And then I, you know, I make sure every day that I am, I'm living life to the full 100%. I give every day 100% so that when I lay down at night, I'm like, I gave that day my all, whether that was helping a victim, whether that was, you know, doing an interview to help other people understand what's going on. I feel like it ha- I have purpose and that feels good to me. Um, and I've got great people in my life. Like I'm not siloed over here just looking at darkness all the time you know I, I go out I have fun I have friends I'm you know I'm not just in the trenches 24 7 so I that took me a while because I was very much you know in the trenches they were did you, you know, get to a point where you felt let's say darkness kind of taking over and you had to figure out a balance um I would say in 2016 when I uh, was first invited overseas to work with the victims of ISIS um after my third trip I came back and I was like, I, I've i never even taken time off work because I'm like, I love my job so much. But I actually told my board, I said, I need, I need a couple of weeks after that. And I just need, I need a minute. And yeah, so I have, I've been there. I felt, I've seen the darkness to the point that it felt overwhelming. And one of the things I love is that, and I, I teach this to the ladies I work with, is that the idea of resiliency that what's in me is stronger than anything that's coming at me. And we have to believe that because life happens and life's going to keep coming at us. But what's in me is going to be strong enough to withstand it. And I see that. I have no excuse. When I look at the women I work with in Iraq who have been through the most horrific things I've ever even heard of, I don't even tell people what I know. I will get up and recognize for my own life if they can do it, if they're still here, I have no excuse to not show up for my own life, you know. Do you have a person or people that you can unburden yourselves? Yes. With? Like, do you have, I mean, do you talk to, like, do you have, like, a therapist or yes. are there people within the organization? Like, how does that work for you personally, right. if you don't mind me right. asking that? I, I actually, think it's important. Um, for my organization, anyone who works for Valiant Hearts that is providing direct care to any um, any of our clients, they are required to be in counseling. That's just the way I am, because if I'm not taking care of my team and we get burned out, then we what are we bringing people into but another toxic environment? So I want us to be the healthiest people on the planet so that when any of our the women that we're working with are men, when they come into our culture and our environment, they feel like, wow, these people are alive. They have joy and it's genuine. I want them to feel something different from us than what they've been experiencing. So we have to be healthy. So we have, every one of us are in counseling, and we know some really great therapists, (laughs) So, because they have to be able to handle the level of what we're, you know, we're dealing with. Hearing you say that made me feel physically relieved. I was like, okay, good. All right. Yeah. No, we're just normal people. (laughs) We're not superheroes for sure. We have to have, I've got my safe people that I meet with. I have a mentor lady that's been in my life for years that just loves me. She has no agenda other than just be there for me. And I can meet and have lunch with her. And, I mean, she's she. I can tell her anything, you know. And we have to have those people. Otherwise, 
you know, nobody can do this alone. None of us can. Carrie Gurley is the CEO and founder of Valiant Hearts. You can find them online at valianthearts.org. CEO and founder and also excellent at segues. I wanted to finish today talking about your international work, which I didn't know that you were really a part of. Um, so you said that the first thing that you did was to go to Iraq to help right. girls that were taken by ISIS. Right. Yeah. Who approached you to do this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was uh, it was very unexpected. Um in the last segment, we talked about how, you know, there was finally a, a transition where we sort of, be, we grew and we became a, a, a much broader organization. And that happened in um, January of 2016. We rebranded, turned, you know, the organization into Valiant Hearts. We had these different missions of not just reaching the women, but the men and the family and the youth. And literally the same month when we've just launched this huge growth, um, I get contacted by an organization that was actually working to affect rescues in Iraq, and they said, hey, we just got called in by the consulate, and they need someone to come and help with the restoration because we're rescuing these women, and then they're committing suicide in the refugee camps because of the trauma. And they don't have trauma care in this country, and they need help. Would you come? So I literally get an email from the consulate of Iraq asking if we would come. So I go to my board and I'm like, hey, so I know we just expanded like four times, but what do y'all think about helping with this? And I love, I have the greatest board because they, they were like, if we didn't do something in our time to the most vulnerable people among us, shame on us, we'll do it. And they had the faith that, you know what, the finances will come. We'll be able to do this. And they sent me, off I went, and um, and I've been going back ever since and doing as much as I can to affect um, healing in that nation. I don't even know where to start. Um, wh- okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> you decide to go over there. Right. The plane door opens. What is mm-hmm. your first impression? Like, I loved you- it. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I loved it. I love being over there. What did you like? Um, it feels so ancient. I know that's weird, but it's just such an ancient feel. Um, just the culture and the landscape even. So I just loved I loved it. I felt like I was where I was supposed to be. There are times in my life when this is the best way I can describe it, when I feel like I am breathing the air I was created to breathe. I landed in Iraq and I'm like Yes, I'm supposed to be here. I'm fascinated with the way places smell and feel. Yes. Because, it, like, a lot of veterans that come in be like, what's Afghanistan smell like? <laughs> it, we, I, it, people think I'm psycho, but it's like a real thing. Mm-hmm. Like, when you travel, if yes. you've ever been other places. It is. But especially when you, we could talk about Spain, fine. Mm-hmm. Right. But a place like Iraq mm-hmm. or Syria or mm-hmm. we were talking about going to Africa mm-hmm. eventually. Mm-hmm. Yes. These places that a lot of people will never be able to go. Right. Um, but you did intake that, like you did notice mm-hmm. that, yeah. and it was something that you you liked. I think a mm-hmm. lot of people would find that really surprising. Mm-hmm. Right, and it is. Um, I mean, it's it's just one of the saddest things to see because you're literally seeing a place that you know they're like us. They're not third world country. They are. They're wealthy. They had houses and cars, and you know, just normal like us. And then. You're driving through the streets and you see these homes and then you see these half-built buildings that were bombed. And then, you know, it's just this 
mixture of things that you're taking in um, as you drive and then driving out to the refugee camps, you know, you're going through military checkpoints and, you know, it's just, it's just very different, but, um, who, but, uh, tra- who did you travel with? What was your security like? So I, there's another organization that um, we partner with very closely called Freedom Shield, and um, their founder is, uh, he was a former FBI agent, and he pulled together a powerful team that has been able to help, you know, train the networks, underground networks in, in Iraq, help them with supplies and things like that to be able to, to rescue effectively um, those that were being held. And so they have uh, helped rescue over 500 women in the last uh, couple of years and they're they're an awesome group and so when I travel they let me hitch a ride and they keep me safe powerful team are you saying that they're like they've got great intelligence on the ground or are you wink wink like <laughs> ex-navy seals green berets yeah yeah they've got all of that on their team okay yeah yeah so yeah they're they know what they're doing, and they have um, they have the right hearts. I've I've just never been more impressed with a group of men ever in my life. They give me like lots of hope for a future spouse. <laughs> <laughs> like these are the kind of men that <laughs> you know Check they that just out are. Us, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The work that you do in a country and mm-hmm. culture and language that you are familiar with is going to be extremely difficult. Yes. Take all of that away. The culture, religion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. language, mm-hmm. everything, mm-hmm. completely foreign. You might as well be on Mars to a certain extent. Yes. How do you help these people mm-hmm. that are, they're not different because they are human beings, but just communicating. Yeah. yeah. How, how do you help these women? Um, so trauma is universal. It affects everyone the same. So tonight I will be at a support group with a group of women who have been prostituted and trafficked right here in DFW. Um. Next Wednesday morning, I'll be on a call with the ladies in Iraq that I work with, and trauma is the same. It affects us the same. So it's a common language. It's pain. It's suffering. It's loss. It's fear. It's anger. It's a combination of all of those things, um, and it's, it's, it's not any different. The severity is heart-wrenching. I was going to ask, and it's— I mean, it's almost a crass question, but is it worse in places like that than it is here? It's different. Or do you, okay. It's different. Um, What I would say is that there are instances of complex trauma where it's not just one, you know, trauma. For instance, if you were to leave here and, and God forbid, have a car accident, there's going to be a trauma associated with that. Maybe the next time you got in your car, you may feel a little bit of fear, anxiety, you know, things like that, okay? So you take a multitude of things that happen. You were, your home was taken. All of your possessions were taken. This is what happened to the, the families in Iraq. And you had to run for your life. You watched multiple family members be killed right in front of your eyes. Your children were taken from you to be forced to do horrific things. Uh, you were forced to do horrific things. Every day, every single family that I have met with in every tent in Iraq is still missing immediate family members, not knowing if they're dead or alive or what's happening to them. If your son is being trained to become and brainwashed to become an ISIS soldier, your daughter's being sex trafficked from one soldier to another, and then 
you have to wake up every day in a tent with all of that. And you wake up to that reality every single day. And there's no hope of getting out of that tent because of the political, economical situation. That is complex trauma on a whole different level. You say words, and I, you'll, it's my natural inclination to ask, but then you say something like complex trauma, and I'm like, I want to know what that means, but I also <laughs> do not want to know what that means. Yeah. How do you, okay, how many, how many women were you helping, let's say, on your, you've been, how many times have you been to Iraq? Five. Five times? Times, yes. Okay. Um, yes, I've been five times. How many women do you help, let's say, per time? It's different. Are you dealing with, are we talking time. hundreds of women? Are we talking thousands? No, no, no. No, because you you have to work with them. They have to feel Well, I, okay, how about this? I got ahead of myself. Yeah. In general, yes. like the, the problem over there is thousands of women? Oh, yes. Okay. Thousands. I need an army of people to really do what we need to do. Okay. But you are only working within, yes. within small and within, groups. Yes, within small groups. And then we're able to set up a support group within a camp of women, teach them some things so they can continue to meet and support each other. Because if we can train them to do it, then they're not dependent on us. Are support groups completely uh, foreign to them? The, the concept of them? They're very um, community focused. And so it was very, it was actually very natural for them. Um, and it was very helpful for them to actually have a conversation about it because what was happening, they were in the camps, but no one was talking about it. And part of that is, um, is actually good to a degree for a while, because if you start opening that up, but you have no way of knowing how to handle it, that's when you're experiencing those that are, are committing suicide. But when you have trauma, the levels of trauma that they're experiencing, they would, literally have seizures when they would be triggered with memories. They would have seizures from the trauma, and they didn't know what was happening to them. They thought that they were now suddenly epileptic, and were like, no, that's this is from trauma. And even just helping them to understand what was happening, you know, to them. Um, I love the the women I get to work with. They are they're amazing women, so resilient. And I would love to have more people that would be willing to help in that effort because there's still 3,000 being held that haven't been rescued yet. So the need is great. And I all, <laughs> I mean, I will go back as many times as I can to help them because this is the biggest tragedy I've ever seen in our time. How are you mentally prepared for that? Like, this is your profession. This is right. what you do. But it's pretty obvious that this is a completely different thing. Right, right. It is, and it, and it looks different. It's the, same, uh, it's the same issue, but it just looks different in different places. And uh, there was one situation that really stuck with me my third trip. I couldn't quite release it. And, you know, things get hung up in our minds sometimes, and... Um, it was, it was difficult. And when we think about, because again, you think about your own kids and when you, you know, we have a, a little boy who was two years old when he was taken by ISIS, he's being trained to be an ISIS soldier. He's having, being forced to make explosives, you know, and he's six years old when he's rescued. That's all he knows. He doesn't remember his family. And I'm looking at this child going, I cannot imagine that being my little boy, and how much anger and, you know, I would feel 
as a mother and how helpless you feel. And he, this little child, was trying to get back to ISIS. He was trying to leave. He was in, I have a picture of him. It's just the most uh, daunting. He's in a vehicle. They knew it wouldn't start, so no one was intervening. But he was in a vehicle trying to get that car to start so that this little six-year-old could drive back to his family, to ISIS. And I tell you what, that I have a picture of him, and he's, he's got these little baby hands, but his eyes look like the eyes of a killer, like a 30-year-old man. It was just unbelievable what can happen, um, and that stuck with me for a long time. Have these things made you appreciate your life more? Mm, yeah. Does it make you, do you kind of get angry when people mm-hmm. complain about <laughs> frivolous things do you have to kind of fight that urge to be like shut up please like you have no idea you know i every time i come back in country if i've been in india or you know iraq or wherever i go i come back and i have to i have culture shock re-entering the u.s because there's this whole thing of how we live you know that i love and i enjoy you know but it feels so uh, it doesn't fit when I come back. I have to kind of get back into this mindset and this lifestyle because yeah. it is difficult. But, you know, but then a couple of days later, I'm driving through Starbucks and getting my $5 coffee <laughs> like everybody else. <laughs> so I'm not going to act like I'm a saint that's, you know, sold all my possessions to give to the poor because I haven't. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, I'm there's not a day that I wake up that I'm not thinking of them and wanting, the, you know, to find a way to help more. We are unfortunately out of time, unbelievably. We spoke for a straight hour. (laughs) I cannot believe it. (laughs) Carrie Gurley is the CEO and founder of ValiantHearts.org. Real quick, how can people help out, volunteer? How can people be part of this organization? Yes, please contact us through our website. We have about 160 volunteer positions every month that we fill, so it's very boots on the ground. You'll get some great experience um, working with our organization. You'll love it, Um, but definitely check us out. And obviously, you know, if you... If you don't have time but you have money, we'll always take donations. Even a $10 donation provides a gas card for a woman to be able to attend a support group. You guys have your annual gala coming up on September 28th over at the Bowden Event Center in Keller. Details on that at your website, valianthearts.org. Carrie Gurley is the CEO and founder of that organization, Valiant Hearts. Please come back. You have to come back. I would love to. Thank you so much. it's been great. Thank you. One last time before we go, you can find more information about this organization at valianthearts.org. I'm Nick Kersamy. Join me again next time on Better Living. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.